One of my favorite hymn writers, Charles Wesley, wrote many hymns in an effort to share the gospel with ordinary people. And one of those hymns that he wrote is a Christmas carol called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. That was written in 1739. A very famous hymn. And it's a classical Christmas carol which gives glory to the story that Luke told in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, it says, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. So we have records in the scriptures of the birth of Jesus Christ, how God became man, how he became flesh, and how he dwelt among us. And many hymns that have been written... And here's a a verse from this Christmas carol. It's a second verse, and it reads, Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the favored one, talking about Mary, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Now most of scripture, most of the emphasis that we see in the scripture, as well as in many commentaries, are understandably defending this wonderful truth that that we sing, this wonderful truth that we often take for granted, and that is the the deity of Jesus. It was this aspect of Jesus that was most under attack during the first century, during the, the first century church. So most of the scriptures are spending their time defending that Jesus was, in fact, God. He was of the same substance. He was of the same essence. And he is the same being as the Father and the Holy Spirit. And my first point this morning is simply, what do we mean when we say that Jesus became man? Now this is very important for us to understand. And we see John the Apostle writing about it. He's very concerned with this subject. And today I want to look at the fact that Jesus became a man, that Jesus dwelt among us. With, with this truth, we need to defend it, unfortunately, especially in our day and age where we live. Um, this is a truth that um, we take for granted. Jesus became a man. Why is this so important? Why does it need to be even said at all? You know, After all, Jesus, we know, was a man. There's historical evidence for that. Um, We know he had arms, he had legs, he had hands, he had feet, he had eyes, he had ears, everything that that a human does. We know the disciples and the apostles had seen him. We know they they had eaten food with him. They had walked with him. They had heard him speak. And of course, we know he was a man. So why was it necessary, why is it necessary today for the church to affirm down through the centuries, that Jesus became a man, that he became, in fact, a human being. Why is this so important? 
Well, look at 1 John chapter 4. And the apostle here is making a case for this. And the apostle is making a very emphatic case. It is very important that we believe this truth. It's very important that we defend this truth. Look at chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Please underline that in your Bibles. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And then he goes on to say, And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Well, the question, why do we need to affirm this truth? Why is it necessary? Well, the first reason... Because unless Jesus became a man, he couldn't save us. He couldn't heal us spiritually. And he couldn't be our representative. He could not stand in our place and he could not be our substitute. That's very important. And as we've been going through this letter, we've understood, we've understood the importance of this propitiation. Of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We couldn't make it on our own. Jesus, God's Son, in the form of flesh, had to be this sacrifice on our behalf. And we'll come back to this in a moment. But primarily, the reason why Jesus became a man was affirmed by the church through the ages. Because it was denied. This truth has been denied by many different types of groups, by many different types of philosophies through the ages. Um, And it's come through different sources as well. Look at verse 4, if you would. Verse 4, John says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. He's talking about these false teachers. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, these false teachers. Wherefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we need to understand that this, lit, that this, this letter, this epistle that John has written, was written to a specific audience. And this audience that John had written to were facing all these false teachers that were tempting them to believe that Jesus did not come in the flesh, that God himself didn't come and live on this earth. So that this truth needed to be affirmed. And this denial came from a source that in church history we call uh, docketism. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson here this morning. So please don't switch off, okay? We love history, remember. We're living in the Middle East, okay? We love history. So, so please stay with me this morning. Okay, the word, word docketism comes from the Greek word uh, dokio, which means to seem, which means to, to be like. Now these um, docketists, in some form or another, they denied that Jesus Christ had a, a real body. 
they did this in, in different ways. But essentially, this is what they denied. They denied that Jesus Christ had a real human body. And that's what lies really behind these, these words, this text that, that we've, we've read already. Uh, behind the assertion that the Apostle Paul made, that the Apostle John made, that we need to affirm even in our, our day and age. And lying behind the, these, these false teaching was a man by the name of Serinthius. Serinthius. And there were other characters in the second century that denied in some form or another the reality of the human body of Jesus Christ. Now, why would they deny it? Well, who in their right mind would deny that Jesus had a, a real human body? If you remember any of your, your history lessons, you'll remember the, the famous Greek philosopher Plato. Um, and Plato would say that the real is the realm of the ideas and the forms. So what is real is not what we can touch. What is real is not what is there. What is real is the ideas. And that was the philosophy that, of course, was affecting many Christians at that time. They, he would say, this is not real. This material is, is not real. And, of course, we have this influence even in our day and age with, with, with movies like The Matrix and other movies that have all these the, the second parallel universes. This is not real. There's, there's another realm that's real. This all comes from Greek philosophy, from Plato. And of course it, it influenced and it still influences people today when it comes to thinking about the deity of Jesus. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem with this thinking. If Jesus was not fully human, it would not be possible for him to identify with us as sinners. If he is only fully divine, it means if he is only God, then how could he have died in the first place? His death really would, would be meaningless if he just died as a God. By denying his humanity, Christ has really no right to stand before the judge on our behalf. And so he could not have taken our place on the cross. And there is no victory over death. And the problem of sin still remains. We are without a substitute. We are without somebody to pay the price for our sins. And mankind still remains separated from God. And this is why John had to fight so, so vehemently against this false teaching, this teaching of docketism. The very core of the Christian foundation is Christ's redemption. And this what was being put into doubt. This is what people were starting to doubt. And this is why it was so necessary. Now going back to Serenthius, he taught that there is a distinction to be made between Christ and Jesus. He would say Christ is divine, but Jesus is just a man. This is another form of this false teaching. He would teach that Christ had, had come upon that man. So Jesus as the man was on the cross, and then Christ as, as the divine God left him when he was on that cross. He talks about 
the time of his baptism, and then he leaves him at the time of his crucifixion. And of course, there there were many other variations of this of this false teaching. According to another philosopher, he taught that Jesus simply pretended to be what he really was not. He only seemed to be a man, but he wasn't a real man. So he was just a, a god on this earth, like the Greek gods, living on this earth, pretending to be a man, wearing human clothes, eating human food. But he wasn't a real man. That's another type of false philosophy that was taught. And then there were, there were many other strands. There was another strand called Apollonarianism. And they denied that Jesus had a real human soul. They denied that Jesus had a real human spirit. So that what happens in the incarnation is that Jesus, in his flesh, he had no human intellect. He had no human will. He had no human choice. He was only divine. And he only had a divine will. And of course, much later, especially in reaction to these false teachings, the church fathers felt it necessary to address these, these different weird philosophies that had come through the, the ages. And they started writing confessions. And, the, and the, the early fathers started writing these creeds that defined and pronounced that Jesus, in fact, was one person with two natures. He was divine and he was human. But he's still only one person. We have one of these confessions called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it says in chapter 7 that Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance. Of her substance, which is a human substance. Why do we affirm that Jesus was a man? Let's go back to that question. Why is this necessary? Because it was denied, okay? Firstly, it was denied. And because it is still denied today. So keep, keep following me. There are still people today, people that we live amongst, our neighbors around us, that refuse to believe that God became a man. If you have ever discussed the gospel with these people, you realize that the biblical account of the incarnation is a huge threat to them and to their religion. To even consider that God became a man would bring shame to them and to their religious community. They refuse to acknowledge or even entertain the thought that God did really dwell amongst us in the person of Jesus Christ. And some well-meaning Christians... They attempt to soften this blow by minimizing this doctrine of the incarnation. But it's not very loving when you do that. And it's not, it's not right when you do that. We need to be faithful to this doctrine. We need to be faithful to God. And being good friends to these neighbors of ours, these unbelievers, requires us to speak the truth. Requires us to keep this edge of the truth while we are patiently remaining with them as they question, as they seek, and as we give the answers, as they wrestle with the implications of the manger 
And we're coming back to this manger scene. It's very important. And the Apostle John is telling us this morning that if we deny that Jesus Christ came in the flesh, then we are not true, genuine believers. We are not true Christians. Because we don't understand the gospel message. And he says, but if we confess that Jesus has come in the flesh, then we are indeed children of God. Straight from the scriptures. Which leads to my second point. The second point is how then? How then did Jesus become a man? Let's take some time to look at the virgin birth. Of course, we want to affirm this morning that there are some aspects of the humanity of Jesus that actually unites us to him. But there are aspects of the humanity of Jesus that separate us from him. I'm going to give you a quick science lesson here now, okay? Put on your science caps here. Take off your history cap, put on your science cap. Science tells us that it takes 46 chromosomes to make a baby. 23 chromosomes from the male, 23 chromosomes from the female. And every female contributes an X chromosome, and then the male provides either an X chromosome or a, or a Y chromosome, which results in a female or a male. So remember, females, are, are you listening, Dina? Okay, Dave, you taking notes. A female is, is an X and an X chromosome, okay? A male is an X and a Y chromosome, all right? Now, scriptures teach us that Jesus was born of a virgin, which means Jesus received the X chromosome from the Virgin Mary. But he did not receive the Y chromosome from Joseph. You got that? Okay. I thought of putting a picture up there, but maybe I should have. (laughs) Jesus' birth was miraculous. It was miraculous. He got 23 chromosomes from Mary, but he never got 23 chromosomes from Joseph. It was miraculous. He did not get that from any human man or or male from this world. So the virgin birth does separate us from the birth of Jesus. It was very different. We know also that Jesus was sinless. He was without sin. He had never sinned. He had no inherent sin from his from his father he did not inherit the guilt he did not inherit the corruption of adam the first adam he had no moral defect he had no tendency or inclination to sin he had no lust he had no corruption and miraculously from the 23 chromosomes of mary by the power of the the holy spirit a little zygote was formed By the power of the Holy Spirit, this this fetus grew and became a child and then became an an adolescent and then became a fully grown man with the same environment and the same conditions, nutritional needs as every single other human being in this world. He had the same physiology. He had the same biochemistry. He had the same central nervous system that, that all of us have. The same DNA that makes up human beings. 
The Bible tells us he became a man. He became a, a human being with a human body. With a human physiology, the same. He had gray matter, white matter. He had a nervous system. He had a spinal cord. All these things that make up a human being. He processed information the same way you and I process information. And Luke tells us in chapter 2 verse 52 that he increased in wisdom and in favor with God and with man. The scripture also tells us in Mark 13 about the second coming. Of that day no man knows, not even the Son, but only the Father. So we know Jesus had extraordinary knowledge. And we could say he had miraculous knowledge of even certain events. Remember, he knew that Lazarus was dead even before he, he came to Bethany. He knew that inside the, the, the fish's mouth there was a coin so that they could pay the, the temple tax. He knew these things. He knew that there was a, a school of, of fish ready to be caught on the one side of the boat. Even though the disciples had been fishing all night, Jesus knew where the, the fish were. He knew these extraordinary things. He knew that at the time of the Passover, the disciples would find a, a man carrying a jar of, of water. He knew about things that other people didn't know. But that doesn't mean to say that in his human mind he had infinite knowledge. He didn't. He had a human body. He had a human mind. And he had human emotions. One commentator says that Jesus put on our feelings along with our flesh when he became a man. I like that. Jesus did know sorrow. Remember, he was weeping at the grave of Lazarus. He knew what grief was. He knew what joy was. He attended weddings. I'm sure he attended many birthday parties as well. He celebrated. He knew what it was to need company, to need friends. Mark tells us when Jesus called the disciples, he says he called them in order that they might be with him. He longed for companionship. Mark said he needed, he needed fellowship just like we do. Jesus knew what it was to need the companionship of friends. Remember, James, John, and Peter were his inner circle. They were his, his close friends. Jesus knew about anger. He knew about righteous anger. Remember, he turned over the tables the, at the money, the money changers in the, in the temple when they were selling their goods and making a mockery of the, the house of prayer. He knew what sadness was. He knew what it was even to feel this, this darkness of despair. Remember in the garden of Gethsemane? Remember his prayer? Remember how the the sweat turned to blood. He knew what the darkness of despair was about. He had a human body. He had a human mind. And he had human emotions. But he had a human will. He had, a, he had the ability to, to choose like every single one of us do as well. And this is what makes us human. The ability to choose. He had a divine will, but he also had a, a human will. Because remember, it's impossible to be human without a will. 
without a center that, that drives us. So remember, he said, not as I will, but as you will, when he was talking about the will of the Father. He understood what his divine will was, and even his own human will, at points, at times, had to be set aside. They had to be set aside. <clears throat> so Jesus became a man. That's what I'm trying to tell you this morning. Jesus became a man. He became someone, remember, who could be tempted like us. Now, in one sense, it was impossible for Jesus to sin. He could not sin. Yet, the devil tempted him. Okay? The devil did tempt him because of his humanity, because of his, his, his body. He tempted him. Remember, after 40 days of fasting, the devil tempted him with food. Jesus had to eat. It was part of his basic instincts. He needed that nourishment. He needed his, the food for his body. And, the, and Satan said to Jesus, Turn these rocks into bread. Turn these, sto- these stones into bread. So he was tempting him to use his divine nature instead of his human nature. He didn't want him to be a human. Satan wanted him just to leave his human body and to, to use his divine faculty. And the Lord said no. And Jesus said no. He couldn't have done this. This was the problem. At the moment of temptation, at the moment of need, he could easily resort to his divine nature. And that's something that you and I cannot do. We don't have a divine nature. And Jesus put that divine nature aside so that he could associate with us so that he could sympathize with us, so that he could understand what it was like to be tempted like you and I are tempted. He became a man, not just a man, but the scripture tells us a man in low condition. Jesus wasn't born in the UAE. He didn't go to the Canadian school. He didn't hang out at Yasmore. He didn't drive a a Humvee or a a Nissan Patrol. He never knew what an iPad was. He was born in the humblest circumstances imaginable. He was born in a stall, in a feeding trough for a domestic animal in Bethlehem, in a stable. Because we know there was no room for him in the inn. And no sooner is he born than he has to flee to Egypt. And he grows up in a relatively poor home in Nazareth. Listen to the words of Jesus about his existence on this earth. He said these words himself. The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He only ever owned what he wore. He didn't have a bank account. He was in a low condition. But let me return to the first question that we asked. Why the need to affirm that Jesus became a man? Let me give you two reasons. First of all, if Jesus hadn't become a man, he could not have been our representative. He could not have been our representative. He could not be what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 15, the last Adam. 
The first Adam is in Genesis. But the last Adam is Jesus Christ. He came really to undo what the first Adam did. He came to fulfill what the first Adam failed to do in his humanity. It had to be in his humanity. Remember, he came to represent man. He came to be our substitute. And he could not have done that as a God or even a half God. He came to be one of us, but without sin, the scripture says. He came to be that sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice that was without blemish, that was without spot. If he had sinned at any point, if he had failed in keeping the law at any point, he could no longer have been the perfect sacrifice. But he was. He was. And so he was nailed on the cross in his body, in his real body, nailed to that cross so that he might stand in our place and bear the absolute wrath of the Holy God for sinners like you and me. So why did God become man? Because we are sinners. Because we cannot save ourselves. We cannot give our body as an offering to God. I talked about this this week when I was counseling some people. In the Philippines, every Easter, there are some people who volunteer to be crucified on a cross. And they get beaten and they get scourged like Jesus was and then they get crucified on the cross. But the thing is, they can only stay on their cross for one minute. Because to be crucified on their cross, they would die. And that would be murder. And the government doesn't allow that. So they, they time one minute and then they take them down off their cross before they die. So they, they're suffering in part for their sins, but their sacrifice is not complete. Their sacrifice is not accepted by God, firstly because they are sinners. They are sinners and sin will not be entertained by a holy God. And the only option we have, folks, is for God, Jesus, the Son of God, to be our substitute. To take on the sacrifice to pay for our sins, for the sins that you and I should have paid for. It's because of sin that Jesus came to this earth. It was because of your sin and my sin that he died on a cruel cross. But there's another reason. And there's another reason why we need to affirm that Jesus became a man. I'm going to finish on this this morning. Because many of us are are hurting. Because many of us go through trials. Many of us experience tribulations. And we're not doing this independently. Perhaps you're lonely, perhaps you feel let down, perhaps you feel discouraged by the unpredictability of people around you, perhaps you're a victim of crime or some cruel injustice. Then we have a a hope this morning, and let me encourage you this morning, it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter what set of circumstances that you find yourself in this morning, the scriptures tell us 
We do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what you are going through because he was a human. He knows your feelings. He's been there. And no matter how dark the tunnel may be, if you get down on your knees and you feel the sand on the floor, remember, Jesus has been there. In fact, what a wonderful thought that he's been in this area where we live. The sand that gets in our toes was probably very similar to the sand that got in his toes. He walked this earth. There is no darkness. There is no trial. There is no ache. There is no pain. And there are no set of circumstances where Jesus hasn't stood once before. And you can go today with such assurance into the very presence of God. And that is exactly what John wants us to do. This assurance, this boldness, this confidence, we can approach the very presence of God because we know that Jesus, our Savior, has been our substitute and He is interceding for us and He is praying for us and He wants to bless us and He wants to encourage us and He wants to motivate us in our human bodies, in our human condition, in the frailty of our human minds. And what a glorious truth that is this morning. You know, we glory in the truth that Jesus is indeed divine. But we equally glory in the truth that Jesus at the same time was equally human. We have that wonderful encouragement that we have a Savior who knows us, that we have a Savior who's paid the price that needed to, to be done. And we can approach the Savior because he understands us and he knows us. Jesus became a man so that we could live with God if we are willing to embrace this wonderful truth, especially as we celebrate Christmas this year. Let's not get sidetracked by, by the myths of Santa Claus and the tooth fairy. Let's remember the whole reason for the season. Jesus became a man and dwelt among us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the blessedness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took the form of a servant who was found in fashion as a man. So we thank you that we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We thank you for sending Jesus to this earth. So Lord, as we, as we learn these truths, we pray the Spirit of God would help us to apply them, especially this Christmas season, Lord, especially as we share the gospel to the friends around us that are still lost in this and to the friends around us that are denying this wonderful truth. So Lord, we affirm this truth this morning. And we want to say thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus to this earth. And we receive this with praise and thanks. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.